In the first reading, we hear how a vision compels Paul to move his ministry into Greece. There he meets Lydia, an important person in the business community whose heart has been opened by God to receive the gospel. Her conversion and baptism provide the impetus for the founding of the church of Philippi. The first reading is from Acts, the 16th chapter. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neoplis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and pray. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. The psalmody reading is from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. In the second reading, we hear of a city transformed of God with a lamb at the center. The second reading is from Revelation, its 21st chapter. Then came one of the seven angels who had had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and the gates twelve angels, and the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, on the east gates, the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, 
and each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing clean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, but ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. I came from the Father and I have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the gospel of our Lord. Well, as mentioned earlier, that sixth Sunday of Easter we get to receive a gift of our those who have preceded us in the church. So we're part of a legacy. They knew Jesus, they received the Spirit, and then they tell the story to the next person, to the next person, from one generation to the next generation. And as, as they go through life in this remembrance of Jesus' stories, they pass on the very best gifts at the very best time. And, and it's been neatly and carefully organized for us to receive it. And the gift that we get today is that, again, in the words and hopefully in the songs and the prayers, that you're going to hear that God, that Jesus, is eager, eager to love you. That God is eager to bless you. And he'll use this, one through Jesus himself, but then later on through the apostles and through the saints and through the the pastors and the people of God's church for all these many, many years. So thinking about this, Let's go back to the location of where we're at in the story. So even though we're celebrating the sixth Sunday of Easter, the Bible lesson that we're reading is prior to the crucifixion. Okay, So we're trying to remember this and remember how God's eager even beforehand and afterwards is all connected. 
So the location in our Bible story, and it, it matters, it's Israel. Okay? It's not Rome, it's not Greece, it's not Africa, it's not the United States. This story is about what's taking place in Israel. And not just any place in Israel, Jerusalem. And then when you know the place and uniqueness in the history of those places, there's a specialness about the time. It is immediately before the Passover. Within the next few hours, they will be slaughtering the lambs before twilight, and then they'll be celebrating the Passover meal. So Jesus will be that lamb slaughtered for us. The lamb of God takes away the sin. And he's leading to those days and in those hours. And the environment in this city, it is high energy. It is a buzz. You know, we can experience some of that if you go to sporting events, you get a buzz or some concerts and the enthusiasm before the excitement before that. It's kind of a buzz and high energy. Boy, Jerusalem is a high energy city at this point, but not just high energy, but high emotion. Nerves are on edge. There's a lot of drama, a lot of anticipation. Some are very angry that the Romans are still there. We should have these people out. When's the Messiah going to come and remove these dogs, these Gentile dogs from our land so we can have our people restored, our temples restored, and be free again? So there's, there's energy about that. There's also energy with political parties. You have, kind of like in our world, we almost always have it, one political party is kind of like protesting from the edge and kind of the zealots, if you will, and you have maybe a couple of others that are fighting each other for turf, who will be the, have the positions of power and authority and privilege. Well, that's happening there. The three political parties, you know, Essenes, Sadducees, Pharisees, are all duking it out. And then in, and in spite of all that political stuff and high energy, you have folks that could just be like us. We're going to the temple, we're going to church. And there, when we're there, we're actually just maybe a little bit nervous or unsettled about our relationship with God. And there were people that were going to Jerusalem this time trying to make an offering. Maybe they made a special pilgrimage. They've been saving up for years and they've walked hundreds or a thousand miles so they can be back home in Jerusalem in the Holy City and they can make their, their offering to the Father saying, I love you and I've, will you forgive me and accept my offering? And they didn't have assurance he would. They were hoping and then some were celebrating the Passover legitimately, saying, wow, long ago in our ancestors, God with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand, he redeemed us from the hand of the, the Egyptians. And he, in this plague, he set us free at their expense. And they sent us out with all their treasures. Believe, go, people of God, and go. And God blessed us and took care of us and gave us this land. And so all of that stirring up. A lot of stuff's going on. It depends on who you're at and what you're emphasizing or going into. That, that's what you would have found on that day. So in that place, we get our lesson. Jesus is remembering, or we are remembering Jesus' time with his disciples. Okay, so he just shared these words, the ones that we read today, right? About four hours later, Jesus is going to be arrested, and he knows it. About five hours later... He's going to be interrogated. Having been arrested, he's going to be being interrogated by the authorities and being beaten and mistreated. About 10 hours after that, he's going to be brought before Roman authorities and they're going to condemn him and ask him questions, question him. He's going to be betrayed by his people. They're going to shout, crucify. Somewhere between 10 and 12 hours, he is mauled, he is whipped, he is flogged. Eventually, about 18 or 12 hours after that, he is going to be nailed to the cross. And on the 18th hour, he's going to breathe his last. Jesus knows in the context of this city, he knows that that's what's happening next. And, and with all of that said and all that being remembered, he says some very beautiful words. 
Listen to what Jesus is going to say. The next things we're going to say next is, what does he say? Listen to who he's speaking it to in the context of what he's speaking. And that, and in spite of all the stuff going on, that Jesus is eager to love and to bless. Okay? With all that said, John chapter 16, verse 23, 24. He says, truly, truly, like, and if he could like grab our earlobes and get our eyeballs, eyeball to eyeball, he'd be saying, truly, like, listen to what I have to say. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he wants to give it to you, right? Ask and you'll receive. And the, the point of this one, so that your joy may be full. When was the last time you had your joy full? Jeeger is eager to bless, right? These next 18 hours are going to be brutal for him. And with all of that brutality on the way, he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about us. He's thinking about his disciples. And he is eager to bless them with joy and the ways of getting joy. He's focused upon them. He's encouraging and he's teaching them and he wants them to pray. He wants them to ask the Father because the Father, like him, is eager to give it away. Oh, if we'd only ask. And he's not talking about the stuff of this earth. Because if Jesus was eager the way we're eager, he'd be saying, okay, Lord, I really don't want to be betrayed. Have all my friends support me and stay with me till the last moment. He'd probably be saying, and oh, by the way, have the, have the authorities actually recognize that I am your Messiah, that they would believe. And actually have the Romans believe it. And Helmi is the king of kings. He would have that whole story, that whole narrative change. But he doesn't pray one lick for that. He doesn't pray for the fact that he wouldn't feel the whips and the beats and the ugly words and the insults. Not once does he pray for himself. And he's not even telling us to pray for the things of this world. He's asking us to pray for the gifts and the great things of heaven, which would be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and generosity, right? Those gifts, that's what he's asking us to ask the Father for. Not joy through a car, joy through a house, or joy through physical absence of pain and discomfort. None of that. Joy in the love and relationship with the Father who knows you and wants to bless you with the very best things, which are the things of heaven. He's focused upon those things and of true life. And so he gives him those words, ask, ask the way I ask. Father in heaven, make me to love like you love. Make me to serve like you serve. Make me humble, grateful, obedient as as, as a church can pray for. Well, now that said, he's saying you can ask the Father so that our joy may be full. The next verse, verse 32. He says, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, you're going to betray me. And you're all going to hide in your own homes. And you're going to leave me. I will be alone. Yet, he says, I'm not alone. Even when you leave me, I'm not alone. For the Father, He is with me now. He's always been with me. We are one. We will never be separated. He gives that to this church. These folks gathered in that room, he tells them of the approaching cross and their imminent betrayal of him. He's aware of what they're going to do. He knows what they're going to say about him and what they're not going to say about him. He knows that they're going to scatter and he will face this onslaught alone. His brothers, his mothers, his family, gone. His best friends, I'll stick with you to the very end. Liar, and I still love you. And still, you can talk to the fire. He's still eager to bless them. 
No worries. You're abandoning me, but my father will never abandon me. I'm always near my father. And though you run away, I will be with you. Though you leave me, I do not leave you. And I'm eager to bring you back. I'm eager to find you wherever you are. I'm eager to restore you so you can have your joy full. Then we get to verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me, so there's the comment, in Jesus, you may have peace. What an elusive thing in this world. Very few people that you get to run into in this world have peace. Even fewer have joy. In Jesus, he's eager to give us both. Peace and joy. He says, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So the word tribulation, that's not a word that you generally use, right? That's not a word that I I can't think I've used it once in the last six months, except if it's in a Bible study or something. So tribulation, this is what it means. A tribulation is something that gives you great trouble. It's a cause of great trouble or great suffering. Well, that trouble, that world that causes all that, and a lot of times the evil one uses us to make that trouble, right? People are what's causing trouble on the earth. Generally, nature just doesn't do it on its own. We hurt people and they hurt us. So that trouble, it's all going to pass. It's going to be brought to an end. And he's telling them this. So in spite of this war, in spite of this looming 18 hours that's coming in front of them, that they can have peace. And in spite of it, and for a church that's on the Easter moments, knowing that as soon as he's having his ascension, that we're now entering the world, like Paul's going to enter the world, that when we go out into that world and we're confronted with the tribulations that we experience in this world, that we will not be overcome, that we too will have peace. The church wants us to remember that in Jesus and in only Jesus, peace. So they can have joy. They can know that they're never alone that they can ask the Father for the gifts of heaven and actually receive them, trusting that the Father wants to bless. We're not working up to it. We're not getting the good grades so that. We're not getting the hard efforts so that. God just loves and God wants to bless. He delights in blessing. I've read those words again. I read these words. Remember the the eager part. Jesus was not thinking about himself. He's thinking about them. And actually he's thinking about us today. Jesus wants us to be joyful and peaceful. And it's challenging because in this world there's even churches that are leading thousands and thousands of people to think that, well, God, He's just looking for a way to examine your lives and know what you think and know what you do and to expose ways that you failed Him so that He can punish you, so He can expose your weaknesses, so He can always feel small and inadequate. He can highlight some failures and in doing some way, He publicly shame us, so we're always groveling on our knees to an angry God. He's going to judge us guilty and he's going to condemn us unless we work hard enough that we never get to work hard enough. We get smart enough and we never get smart enough that we love enough and we can't do it. That God is never satisfied. We get that in this world. We hear it a lot. Sometimes we tell ourselves. Well, Jesus is approaching his last 18 hours before he breathes his last. Jesus 
is dreaming. Jesus is, he's urging and he's eager. He's working and planning about ways that followers can know that they can ask the Father and that they can receive blessing. The goal isn't to have them stay wounded and small. The goal is that they can be set free. Now on the sixth Sunday after Easter, the ancient church family wants us to remember that truth. That we're not going to go back and think about how we abandoned Him or how we continue to abandon Him. We're not thinking about all the junk. That we're going to approach our Heavenly Father and know and trust that He is eager to love us and eager to bless us. So from John's Holy Spirit-inspired and Jesus-inspired gospel world, we can know with certainty that what Jesus said was true. That God so loves this world that He didn't give His Son Whoever believes would have eternal life, gifted. The Son didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but the world would be saved and set free. Sundays, for us Christians in this world, they're like our ultimate memorial days. Think about Memorial Day weekend. The greatest warrior in history of all the warriors you've seen in the movies, of all the warriors you've read about and heard about and studied about in all of history, the greatest warrior in all of history is Jesus, this Messiah of God. Jesus of Nazareth, born of Mary, that one. Greatest warrior. Prove me wrong. He's the only one in history that I'm aware of that is able to go against the war of sin, with sin, and win. Because I've never heard of any human being on the face of the planet going to war with sin and prevailing. Jesus is the only one. So he's the champion. He's the greatest warrior. But on top of that, he's the only one in history that goes to war against the evil spirits, the devils, and he wins. In fact, he shows up in the room and they're quivering saying, Oh, we know who you are. You come to destroy us. He said, Not yet. Be quiet and leave. They already know the outcome. He's the only one in history that does that. Even to the legion. On Gentile soil, steps off the whole legion comes. Dismiss, go to the pigs, get out of here. And they obey his commands. He's defeated them. And he's the only one in history that I know of that went against devil and death. Against death. He's the only one I know of that defeated death like he did. So in the history of the world, there's been no greater warrior than Jesus. And in history, the greatest of warriors typically became kings. So now Jesus is also the greatest king of kings and lord of lords. That was brought up here. Uh, Jared brought me and said, you know, pastor, that the greatest warriors often became the kings? And I said, yes, now Jesus is the king of kings. Great stuff. So Jesus, the son, this king of kings, this greatest warrior on Memorial Day, we remember how he gave his life. That one... He is eager, eager, like excitably delighted to give life so that every man, woman, child in every nation of all times could live free. We remember Memorial Day weekend, those that gave our lives so that we could have freedom as a country. Think about Jesus so that every nation could be free, so that all peoples could have joy. All peoples could have peaceful lives now and for all eternity. This eager God loves to love and bless us. And through us, 
You know, there's a whole other part of this. We get to Paul and the Philippians. We can't do it this year. Maybe in three years when we come back to this lesson. But he's done all this for these disciples so that they can tell the story to the next batch and the next batch and the next batch and eventually gets to us so that you and I can share the story of a God who's eager to love, who's eager to bless, and that through us, that message will be told and that we too will be blessings in that legacy of God's story in his church. So God help us to receive it and God help us to give it. Amen. Let us declare our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in the name of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Rejoicing in the resurrection, we bring the needs and concerns of the church, the world, and ourselves in prayer. Heavenly Father, look with mercy on us, your needy children on earth. Grant us grace that your holy name be hallowed by us and all the world through the pure and true teaching of your word and the love shown in our lives. Graciously, turn us from false doctrine and evil living where your precious name is blasphemed and profaned. Lord, in your mercy. On this Memorial Day weekend, we pause to remember with reverence and gratitude our blessed dead, especially those who gave their lives in the service of our country. Grant that we order our common life in a way that is worthy of their sacrifice. Guide and strengthen all who currently serve in the military. Protect and heal them when they fall. Shield and comfort their loved ones and family. Bring them home safely and soon. We ask that you bring peace to your world, that terrors of war need no longer be known among us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Grant healing and hope to all who suffer in body, mind, or spirit, especially those named in our prayer requests and those we name silently in our hearts. Be gracious and merciful to them and to all who care for them. Restore the bonds of the fellowship and affection that have been strained or surrendered by suffering and adversity. And give to us all the joy of your saving help. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let the Spirit fill every heart in this congregation with joy. Make that joy blossom into heartfelt worship, loving service, truthful witness, deep prayer, and loving fellowship. Bless this congregation with vision for the future and reverence for the past. Reveal to us and help us understand the church you want Emmanuel Lutheran to be. Help us to know you better and to make you known to those around us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.
Into your hands, Heavenly Father, we commend all for whom we pray. We are trusting in you and your mercy for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.